Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. Today we are studying in the book of Acts, chapter 20. Here's Pastor Ryan. We learn a lot from the apostles, you know, who are led by our Lord. And we see that Paul not only preached that we ought to love one another as Christ loved the church, but it wasn't just in word that he loved, but he loved in deed, right? We see that he was affectionate, that as he's leaving after three years, he called them together to embrace them, to literally physically embrace them. And uh, I just love seeing that. You know, not everybody is a hugger, amen? But interestingly, in the word of God, the church is exhorted to be affectionate with one another. The, the Lord said that we ought to love one another as he has loved us. And we, I think about this command to be affectionate with one another. In Romans 12.10 is where Paul would write that. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. I think about, it's a command. I don't think it's a suggestion. I think that the closer we get to God, the more we're going to be apt and ready to really not just love in word, but to not, not fear to give a hug to a brother or sister. We've been on this journey together for some time. I get it. It's, it's, it's one thing with, with new folks. It's harder. I remember one time when we were visiting Clarissa's family in El Salvador, the Arabic culture, man, they have a thing down there where they where they kiss on each cheek when they greet each other. Now, they didn't prepare me for this, so here I am at a, at a restaurant ready to just eat a fantastic meal, and it was crowded, and, and, and her family, they knew so many other families there and were introducing us. And we had you know, strangers come up to me and, and kiss me on each cheek. And so, yeah, I felt like awkward and... But there's something about the human touch that is very powerful, just like there is love. It's a powerful thing. You know, I'm not going to be quick to uh, think bad about someone after they've kissed me on each cheek. It does something to us, the human touch. Peter would also say, the apostle Peter would also say in 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Greet one another with a kiss of love. I think about the disciples when Jesus was resurrected and they were still inside for fear of the Jews and Jesus appeared to them in, in Luke 24. They were spooked. They were afraid. The Bible says because of doubt. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, behold my hands and my feet that it is myself. Handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Handle me, touch me, Jesus said. See that I'm real. In John 13, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John the Beloved, were told that he rested his head on, on Jesus' chest and said, Is it I, Lord? So when you think about our Lord, when you think about how he dealt with, with the disciples, don't get weirded out if I try to hug you. I'm just trying to be like my Lord. But I don't take it personal. I don't. But it's a lesson scripturally to consider. Because a lot of Christians have been duped into not having any contact with people physically. And it's, and it's crazy. 
And pretty soon they're going to be asking the brethren, I would hug you, but have you been vaccinated? You think that I'm kidding, but this is the world that we're living in today. Follow the Bible, not what the media says or the CDC. Follow the Bible. He embraced them. He embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. As you know in your Bible maps, that's from Ephesus to Macedonia. That's just, that's a trek across the Aegean Sea to the northern part of Greece. That's where he goes. And now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. We see here that when Paul went over there, that he encouraged them with many words. And then he came to Greece and stayed there three months. And those three months that he was in Greece is when Paul the Apostle would write his epistle to the Romans. So just to give you a timeline of what's going on here. But what's cool is that when he went there, he encouraged them with many words. And I know the heart of our church and your heart is to minister and to encourage one another with the words of Christ. Amen? I mean, I'm so blessed. and so. But if you're here and you really have a heart to help people, we have a heart to help people be saturated in the word of God. There is no other way that I have learned. I find it very true that as I spend time in God's word, that he finds a way to give me an opportunity to share his word with someone who needs it. And it's a ministry lesson as well. Abide in Christ and he will open doors for us to encourage others. Abide in him. Don't abide in him and it won't happen. You know, and so I learned in the ministry, don't try to force ministry to happen. Don't try to be a forceful encourager of people. Just chill, abide with the Lord, and they'll come to you. Amen? And he encouraged them with many words. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul would say to Timothy, that's First Timothy 4, 16, take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Take heed to yourself, right? Guard your heart but with all diligence, the Bible teaches. Take care of your heart. Abide in Christ. Take care of the doctrine. Study it. Embrace it every day of your life. Be saturated in it. And you'll be able to help both yourself and others. But if you're not saturated in the word, then you're not going to rightly divide the word. And thus, you're not going to be able to rightly help others. Amen? And he stayed there three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so here we read that there was a plot against Paul by the religious Jews. Some commentators believe that they, what they were planning to do was to go on that ship to Syria with them, take him out, and then dump his body you know, overboard. The reality, my brothers and sisters, did you know that every believer in Christ, there is a real plot against you? There is a real plot against every believer in Christ. I say this with just enthusiasm to teach this because it's a reality that many Christians lose sight of. And the reality is, if, there, if there's anything that I can say today, is that this is not a pretty world. And that's one of my favorite sayings. I bring it from El Mani. This is not a pretty world, we used to say. And in the fight that we're in, this is not a pretty world. There is a plot against you and I, and we'll be healthy 
if we would recognize that this is an everyday reality, that the enemy of our soul is trying to hinder the very work that God has called us to do. The Bible refers to us. Jesus, through Paul, would tell, tell Timothy, be a good soldier. Be a good soldier of Christ. Don't be in, in entangled with the affairs of this life. A good soldier is focused on him who enlisted him. Paul would say, fight the good fight. And where he's about to say goodbye to the Ephesian church. But it's all about warning. It's all about what's really, really going on. Take warning, Sweet Hills. We need to take warning. Because there is a plot against us. How many parents in here have said that to our kids? Son, daughter, as Christians, the enemy plots against us. So we have to be aware and watchful. They wanted Paul to stop his ministry, period. Stop preaching Christ. Stop your ministry. Satan is always looking for a foothold into our lives, guys, and into the church as well. Be aware of his tactics, for he comes as an angel of light. Paul would say from within and from without. From without we understand, but no, he warns from within. And when he says goodbye to the Ephesian elders, trust you me, he says to them, wolves will rise up amongst you. There's a plot. We have to be watchful. How do you know when there's, there's wolves in your midst? How, do you, how can you tell sheep from wolves? Wolves eat sheep. Who's trying to eat the sheep? I'm a shepherd. I've been shepherding for probably, I think in 2004, I was ordained as an assistant sheepdog. So I'm warning you from what I know. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits, by their works. Who is eating sheep? Sheep don't eat sheep. Thomas Manton, a Puritan from England in the 16, 1600s, Speaking of Ephesians 6.13, that says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, stand, to, able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand. His commentary on that, he says, Stand fast is a military term, and it alludes to a soldier's keeping his ground. The phrase is opposed to two things, cowardly flight and a treacherous revolt. It's opposed to two things. So what the Lord says is, as a soldier for the Lord... Stand your ground. What ground has God given you? God has given me this pulpit as ground. He has given me the honor and the privilege to shepherd this church. This is the ground that Jesus Christ called me to. As Paul would allude so many times, it's by the great God. I'm apostle of Paul by the grace of Jesus Christ who called me. He kept telling in every letter, that's who he would remind them. I'm here because God put me here. What ground has God given you? Maybe he's giving you this church. Do you think the devil wants to take this church from you? Absolutely. He wants to take any ground that God has given you to appreciate and enjoy. So stand fast. Hold your ground. Don't let the devil take it from you. He says, A cowardly flight implies our being overcome in the evil day by the many afflictions that befall us for the truth's sake. A treacherous revolt implies yielding to the enemy by complying with those things that are against the interests of Christ and his kingdom and doing so for our advantage. Demas has forsaken us and loved this present world. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Thomas Manton goes on to say, Backsliders in heart are the worst sort of apostates, those who lose their affection to God their delight in his ways, and their esteem of his glorious recompense, all for a little pleasure, profit, or pomp living. That's serious stuff, but it's true. So we need to stand fast because there's a plot. 
There's a plot that just won't succeed because we belong to Christ. It never has succeeded. I'm still here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 9, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by all your brethren in the world. Those who really love God in the world experience the attacks of the enemy. But the Bible says your adversary, as in you, as in me, you have an adversary, and he's plotting against us all the time. And the only way he can be foiled is if we abide in Christ and we have our wits about us. That we're not moved by emotion, but by the word of God. We are in a feelings society and it's all about God's truth. He comes as an angel of light, trust you me. They plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopatar of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also... Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. Rather than sailing across the Aegean from the southern part of Greece, Corinth, Paul goes northward into Macedonia, but the guys just mentioned here cross the Aegean Sea in a boat to get to Troas, which is on the western coast of, like where Ephesus is on your map, it's, it's north of Ephesus on the Aegean coast, and they're there waiting uh, for Paul the Apostle. And he sends them there because probably uh, the church in Troas probably were expecting Paul, and he better send these guys, and he goes up to Macedonia. Now, the interesting thing about these guys who were from Macedonia, they were from Thessalonica, Philippi, or whatever, these guys represented the, their churches in that area. And at this point in Paul's ministry, what's on his heart is to take a financial gift to Jerusalem. Right? We read about it in 1 Corinthians. We read about it in 2 Corinthians. The church in Jerusalem was in trouble financially because when the early church started, they had like a form of socialism where nobody owned anything and everyone brought all their possessions to the church, including their lands. Remember that in the early part of Acts. And so nobody had lands, nobody had work, and the church went broke. And so what a beautiful way of God uniting the, new, the church of Christ because the church of Christ is made up by Jew and Gentiles, right? Non-Jews and Jews together. So Paul had commanded the churches in Galatia to give, to, he commanded them to take an offering. And then he did it with the, church in Mes the, the churches in Macedonia and he did it also with the church at Corinth. You can read it in First and Second Corinthians. So as Paul is heading trying to make his way to Jerusalem and then eventually to Rome where he will be beheaded, his heart is to take a financial gift to the brethren in Judea. And it's something to keep in mind because these representatives that we just read about, these are the guys that are delivering the funds, right? And it'll go through Titus and eventually to Jerusalem, guys. There is that reminder, two things. A man needs to work because Jerusalem went broke, then they need to go get a job. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul would write to them in chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, he says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, 
that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. So, so that you don't lack anything. And so you walk like with the, as a good witness to the world, work. You know, I, by God's grace, he gave me a job with Caltrans. I, I had to do both things because, you know, we were a small church and I, there wasn't enough money to, to give me a salary at the time. So, you know, I have to work. It's important. It's something that I feel the Lord uh, had me preparing my notes and just say, maybe it's time for some Christian men to get back to work. I don't buy this whole, oh, my wife watches the kids because it's more expensive for the daycare. And so she works and I stay home with the kids. No, no, no. Reverse that. She stays home with the kids and you work. It's a bunch of, you know what? The world sees that and it doesn't look good. And that's why he says, so that you have a good report with those on the outside. Also, it reminds us to be a giving church. That's the heart of Paul before he's, he goes to Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, write that down. Check it out later. Verse 6, it says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always having all sufficiency in all things may, may have an abundance for every good work. We get that from the letters to Corinthians because it's a great teaching to the church that we are to give. give if we give sparingly, then we should, we should expect to receive sparingly from the Lord. Jesus said, give and it shall be given to you. And the same measure that we use will be measured back to you. And there are people who are trippy, who say, oh, you shouldn't tithe, and it's an Old Testament uh, law, and this and that. Yeah, but we're under grace, man. You can't give a dollar out of every ten God gives you. What's wrong with you? There is something wrong. And it, and it is an issue of faith. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of obedience. Faith, because it's not always easy to give. Lord, you know I'm in trouble financially. You know we can't afford it. But I have learned that... that Part of the reason why I was broke was because I wasn't giving. And he wouldn't allow me to succeed financially. The, finan the doors would close on me. And my car kept breaking down. And when I started giving, it wasn't as cheerful. It worked up to being cheerful. It hurt at first. But by faith, I will, I will rejoice by faith. And just to watch him provide ravens of the air. Streams in the desert, jobs open up, car lasts forever. I haven't been to the mechanic in two years. <laughs> Things happen supernaturally because it's a, it's, a, it's a lesson of faith where you trust him. And Paul says that he's able to make all grace abound to you. Grace is the things that you need, the finances, the job. You want, he, can, he can give grace, but grace he gives to the humble, but he resists the prideful. See, the humble, to be humble is to depend on God. I depend on you. I am humble. You say, I do. Not you say, I lean on my own understanding. I justify why I don't give. You just give it. Because he gave it to you. You give it out of obedience. And it is about control. We're very controlling people. And that is why Christ said, if we're going to follow him, we must deny ourselves. Because we're controlling. We want to control our own will. My tithe, I give to the church to help with the lights. My tithe. I, I give because he says to give. I don't take the tithe and then try to tell God what to do with it. That's control. 
tithe is, it goes to the church because I'm being fed the word here. This is my church. This is where I worship. You call us to help the church, just like the churches here are sending money with Paul to Jerusalem. It's for the church. I'm not here to, he's, God's not asking me to take my tithe and say, now Ryan, go and do a charitable deed with this. This is for his church. That's like going to Sizzler, eating all you can eat salad bar and steak and saying, you know, thanks for the steak. What I'm going to do instead of paying you is I'm going to take the money, go down to Highland Springs and give it to one of the homeless people there. What are they going to say? We, we, you've been eating here. And it's the same. It's like, it's an issue of control. It's an issue of faith. And I know it hurts. The truth hurts. <laughs> but then it becomes sweet. Goes down sweet and then bitter, or the other way around. <laughs> but God has gotten me out of debt, out of everything, he hooked me up with jobs I had no business having because He is good. They hired me not because of my talents, they hired me because Jesus said they are to, they ought to hire this guy. Okay, these men going ahead, verse 5, waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the day of unleavened bread. And in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So they went up to Philippi by land, Paul and Luke. We, Luke, Luke, the writer of this is Luke. The gospel of Luke, that guy, the physician, the slave, he was a doctor. Doctors were slaves back then. And he's saying, we went up to Philippi, then crossed on a ship and met the, the, the guys who went ahead of us to Troas. That's what he's saying here. Now the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his mission until midnight. Now, here where it says the first day of the week, when they gathered together to break bread, that is the clearest verse in the Bible as to why we celebrate the Lord on Sunday, that we come together on Sundays because the first day of the week for the Jewish calendar is Sunday. It's the day that he was resurrected. And what a perfect day for us to meet than the day the Lord was raised from the dead. And so it's the clearest, clearest verse. And also here it says, when they came together to, also, to meet and to break bread. It's like part of the early church's recipe, pun intended, to be healthy and to grow in Christ and for their love for God and one another. Part of it was eating together. And you and I know who have, you know, you know students out there, uh, stu uh, Bible students, that to the Jew, to eat with someone was becoming one with them. So for them to eat together as the early church with, Jew, with Gentiles and Jews together, man, it was like being one. And again, this speaks to us gathering together and remembering this was the way of the early church and it should be the way of our church today to break bread with one another like family. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That call for us to gather together. So church isn't just about gathering together. It's about uniting together in Christ, breaking bread, spending time, interacting not just going in and out. Please don't do it. I know some of us are, aren't people people, but as you're, you believe in a God that he cares about your weaknesses, but he has called you out of your weaknesses 
So to the point where you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We cannot worship our human weaknesses. We cannot worship our anxieties and our worries and our depression and our germophobia. I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit's bigger than all of that. Look at me, I'm here speaking before you. You think I'm up here because I like speaking in front of people? I'm up here because it's the calling that God has on my life. And my love for Christ overcomes my fear of speaking in front of people. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, but of love and a sound mind. I mean, I come from madness, swinging from the chandelier's madness. I did so much drugs when I was young to now have a sound mind somewhat. It's what Christ does. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicolette Street in Banning. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and just hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Chapman. Bye.